code June. 2018, you will get $5 off. That's basically free shipping for the new book, What Do We Believe? Also, we are giving away a preacher's Bible. This is a $200 nice calfskin Bible, thick paper, so if you take notes, it doesn't bleed through. It is a great Bible, New American Standard. How do you enter? Well, follow Andrew Rappaport on Twitter, Striving for Eternity ministries on facebook and what you got to do to enter go and write a review on itunes the link is in the show notes write a review for us on itunes or email us at info at striving and tell us what you like about the podcast what you don't basically send us a review what you think about it also you can send us topic ideas that will get you an entry into the contest and make sure to share the rap report. Make sure you're subscribed also, by the way, but share it with your friends. Encourage them to subscribe. We thank you very much. Welcome to the rap report with Andrew Rappaport, where we provide biblical interpretations and applications. This is a ministry of striving for eternity and the Christian podcast community for more content or to request a speaker for your church. Go to strivingforeternity.org. All right, well, welcome to another rap report. This time, this week, I should say, we are going to deal with a little bit of a sensitive issue, an issue that has been in the news, and it is uh, often referred to as the Colorado Baker case uh, that went to the Supreme Court. Now, before we do that, we do, I just want to reach out. There is a podcast out there called Theology Driven. Let me let them introduce themselves real quick. Welcome to Theology Driven, a weekly mobile podcast in which we explore the open road of life through a biblical lens. Now, it seems that they're, they're uh, kind of decided that they're going to call me out a little bit, and we're going we're gonna to address that. But, you know, they talk serious stuff on their podcast. Let's, let's listen to them talk about, well, coffee. Uh, this is the first time I've had coffee from Zambia, and it from is where? Zambia. It's Zambia, bro. Says you. How do you know it's not a soft A? Because I, I've Zombie. I've heard everyone. I've heard Vody Bakum pronounce it. I've heard Conrad yeah. in, uh, pronounce it. Vody's got some. Vody just ha- he has a heavy, thick voice. Bro, it it just comes even, out bro, hard. Have you, James can't even pronounce Bakum. Yeah, so. yeah. Hey, raise your hand. Raise your hand if you've been to Zambia. Okay, Vody wins. <laughs> So, okay, they, they do actually talk some very good theology and serious stuff, but they, they called me out because I did post something that uh, about last week's episode, and here's what they said, and I, I'm just going to address this really quick before we get into our serious content. <laughs> uh, now, apparently, uh, Andrew Rappaport is giving us a hard time. He teased about it on Twitter, mm-hmm. but the, the show hasn't dropped yet, so I, saw I don't know what that's all about. He's blaming whatever it was on Chris from Voice of Reason, but I don't know, Andrew, if you're lumping in with those guys, that's that's scary. I think Chris was on Andrew's show, is that right? Yeah, that's what it sounds like, I and know. I guess I okay. guess, uh, I guess uh, Chris was driving. They decided to do a theology mockumentary oh, episode. So, <laughs> so they were driving, huh? Interesting. Mm-hmm. That sounds... Uh, did, they, did they really do a mockumentary of us? I don't wow. know. We don't know what it is yet, because... Oh. So Andrew Rappaport tweeted, I guess this morning or late last night or something, he said whatever, you know, he, he tagged Theology Driven, and then he said, you know, it's not my fault, Chris made me throw you under the bus, whatever, so <laughs> we don't even know what it is yet, but 
Oh, I'm sure it'll be funny. Hey, all I can say is, hey, Andrew. Hey, listen up, buddy. We're coming for you. All right? <laughs> no matter where you go, no matter where you sleep, no matter who's there, we will find you. All right? Or at least drive near your vicinity. <laughs> That's a threat. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna drive we're gonna drive somewhere in the vicinity of New Jersey, and we're gonna and we're gonna do an episode about New Jersey. Well, can we can we just drive on the outskirts? Because I really don't want to go in New Jersey. Yeah, I've been there. I've been in New Jersey, and no thanks. It's cool though. It's it's New Jersey is very similar to a third world country. Well, guys, listen, if you want to come to New Jersey and find me, the challenge is there. I mean, just remember, you know, we do things different here in Jersey. We may not be allowed to carry weapons, you know, like, you know, we have real strict gun control laws. But if you want to come after us, I mean, it's hard to get out of the state. We have special shoes for you. They're cement shoes. So if you don't mind sleeping with the fishes, I mean, you could drive in. I just don't know that you're going to drive back out. Uh, I actually, it, he, he was joking about third world country, but actually I was, I was uh, interviewed or uh, introduced when I went to speak at a church, and he introduced me as a missionary to the country of New Jersey. Um, <laughs> so he had been a pastor in New Jersey. So what we'd like to do is today deal with this court ruling, and I have with me uh, Michael Laffey, and you're from uh, Messina Law. And you do uh, so. You're back. You are a lawyer, just for the record. Right? Yes, that's correct. <laughs> and actually, you you teach law, business law at my alma mater. So we have that in common. Um, at least I didn't wasn't under you when you were teaching there. So you're not that old. No. <laughs> <laughs> so real quick, give us your background, and and so folks can know who you are and, and a little bit about what the the type of law you do and what Messina Law practices. Sure. Uh, I'm a, my basic practice is a general practice for businesses and nonprofits. Um, we provide a few a full range of legal services for those types of entities. Uh, but I also do a lot of practice uh, in constitutional law, especially uh, with regards to the First Amendment. Uh, I represent uh, the Fellowship of Christian Athletes in the state of New Jersey. Uh, I've uh, worked with and provided uh, and had training with the Alliance uh, Defending Freedom, and I've worked with a variety of national organizations on free speech and freedom of religion issues. Free speech, that's never an issue for Christians, is it? You know, well, <laughs> unfortunately, it is often. <laughs> As someone who does, uh, I, I do a lot of street ministry, and I do a lot of open-air evangelism, and so... Uh, freedom of speech issues come up often and um, one of the things that actually <laughs> it is kind of interesting because we usually find out that some of the street preachers know the first amendment a little bit better than most police officers it seems yes that's probably <laughs> correct and I, I have represented a number of uh, um, street preachers in municipal courts yeah we we had uh, in seaside heights we have a one police officer he's a jehovah witness and uh, it's very interesting. Every year he gives us a hard time. Like, you know, we'll, we'll have a group of people in different areas. And be like, oh, no, you all have to be together. You have to be in one area sharing, handing out tracts and things like that. And it's like, what law is that? And, you know, it's just interesting. And then we'll call the captain and the captain will say, you know, you can, you can continue doing it. And, but it's, it's interesting that, like, each year we go through that. <laughs> it's not unusual. So... So this we have this case. Uh, this was 
seen as a big case for Christians early on. Uh, the, this case of, of the uh, uh, baker in Colorado who refused to make a specialized cake for a homosexual couple for a same-sex wedding. Um, he offered them other cakes, from what I understand. He offered to, to any of the other non-specialized cakes where he wasn't using his, his artistic expertise to specifically uh, do this wedding and he and he, he said that he doesn't do Halloween cakes and he doesn't do many other types of cakes uh, and part of the thing is also that he goes to weddings and so, you know brick cuts the cake even sometimes for them and with them and to celebrate with them and he didn't feel he could do that with this one and he got sued and uh, it well, well made it all the way to the Supreme Court yes and the thing, you know, could you give us kind of an overview of legally what this case was about and what were the issues that came up? Well, you know, you're right. Jack was a, uh, Jack was the owner. Um, that was his name. He was a Jack Phillips, very religious man. Um, all, a lot of different cakes that he won't make. He won't make Halloween cakes. He won't make any, uh, cakes that denigrate or mock God. He has, he's refused to make cakes with, uh, Homophobic, what he views as homophobic statements on them, uh, and he explained to these people very clearly that, you know, look, it would violate my religious beliefs, my conscience, to make you a cake celebrating a gay wedding. I'll sell you any baked goods you want from my store. I'll give you names of other bakers who will custom make a cake for you. You know, I just can't do that for you. Um, that they uh, were not happy with that answer. Um, and they filed a, a complaint with him, and the complaint started at the uh, Colorado uh, Civil Rights Commission, where they held a hearing, and he lost. Um, he appealed it all the way through, uh, kept losing, um, took it to federal court. Supreme Court decided to hear it, uh, and uh, he did win at the Supreme Court level. Now, did he, my understanding, though, is when they went to the Supreme Court, they had a choice between arguing for freedom of religion or freedom of speech. And he argued for freedom of speech, or his lawyers argued for freedom of speech. That's correct. And, and be, that's because the, and they, they, they always do make all the arguments. So the, the freedom of religion argument was in their briefs. Um, but the the key argument was freedom of speech, and, and there's a very important reason for that. So let me give you a little historical uh, context for why that was done. Originally, um, if you objected to a law, to obeying a law because of your religious beliefs, um, the the law was that the um, uh, state had to show that they had there was a compelling government interest at stake. And that this law was the least restrictive way that they could accomplish that. Okay? If they couldn't show those two things, uh, your religious beliefs would excuse you with complying from the law. Um, in the 90s, uh, there was a case, Employment Division versus Smith, um, and it dealt with a uh, gentleman who was denied uh, um, unemployment benefits because... Um, he was fired from his job from taking drugs. The drugs he took were peyote, and they were. Uh, he was a member of the Native American Church, and peyote is a sacrament in that church. Hmm. Uh, and that reached the Supreme Court, 
And the Supreme Court said, no, no, this is an unworkable uh, um, law, the way we've been interpreting it, um, and came up with a new standard. And the decision was written by Justice Scalia, the late Justice Scalia, uh, and it basically said if if it's a law of if it's a neutral law of general applicability, okay. In other words, it's not targeted at the religious belief. Then you can't object to it. You have to obey it. The other way you could get around is that if it, if it was enforced in a discriminatory manner, okay, that would also be impermissible. Uh, it's interesting to note that this decision was widely criticized by people on both ends of the political spectrum. Um, it was a very unpopular decision. Uh, as a result, uh, the government passed uh, um, a RIFRA law uh, that stands for uh, um, Religious uh, Freedom Restoration Act. Uh, and, and they applied it to the states, uh, which reinstated the old standard. Well, that went to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court said, federal government, you can put that standard on yourself, but you don't have any right to force that standard on the states. Um, the court did allow them to do to do some limited uh, imposition on the state, and that resulted in a law we call RELUPA, which just applies to um, zoning decisions and um, rules that apply to institutionalized persons, prisoners. Okay? Okay. So they can still, in those two instances, the old standard uh, still applies. Um, the states, so a lot of states passed um, RIFRA laws on their own, um, but not all. Uh, after uh, gay marriage became an issue, um, all of a sudden that uh, became more difficult to do. That's what happened uh, with the law in Indiana. Indiana was trying to pass one of those, and because of political pressure from uh, people who supported uh, gay marriage, um, Governor Pence at the time, now Vice President, vetoed that um, because of the political pressure that was being put on the state of Indiana. But it's interesting to note that at one time everybody agreed that those laws were were a good thing. So um, this... Non-discrimination law is a law, a neutral law of general applicability, um, which would make the freedom of religion argument uh, seem to be a very difficult one to make, and that's why they went with the free speech issue. And Because they thought the free speech was going to be an easier one to win the case. That's correct. So they weren't, and and this is the thing, I think some Christians need to understand that when you go before the Supreme Court, as a lawyer, you're looking to win a case not necessarily make a political statement or win, make a religious win. They have, they have a, a purpose of winning the case. That's correct. So do you think, because um, there's been a lot of discussion on whether this was a, a win for religious rights and, or, or not, because it wasn't fought over the religious issue as much as it was a freedom of speech issue. Do you think this was a, a win for religious rights? Well, I do, and there's a couple of reasons for that. One of which is the court didn't decide it on the freedom of speech issue. Um, they kicked that can down the road. Uh, and and I, look, that's a very important uh, right also for Christians, and we shouldn't minimize uh, the, that if they had determined it on the 
uh, freedom of speech issue, that would have been a clear win for for everyone, including Christians. Uh, But um, what the court did instead is they looked at what Colorado had done and what the Civil Rights Commission had done, and they looked at the statements that the commissioners made during the hearing, uh, and they looked at the fact that there were other cases where a gentleman had asked um, bakers to make a, um, a cake that had a religious statement on it that was anti-homosexual, and he was refused. And he argued, well, they were discriminating against me because of my religious beliefs. And uh, the, uh, in those cases, the bakers won. So looking at those two things uh, and the fact that the Colorado commissioners, a couple of them, had made very disparaging remarks about um, Jack's religious beliefs, uh, the court held that um, these laws were being enforced in a discriminatory manner in Jack's case, and uh, that's why Jack won. Yeah, I remember uh, after that, <clears throat> when this case actually started and he first got in trouble, or first, you know, they, they, this lawsuit started, uh, there was someone that went into 13 different Muslim-owned bakeries with hidden camera uh, asking to make a same-sex wedding cake. And he was chased out of most of them. One one literally chased out by a broom. The, the, the Muslim owner told him to get out. He, he didn't leave right away. The guy grabbed the broom and chased him out. And, and it was interesting just to show how there is, does seem to be a double standard that we're seeing in our country with, with Christians right now. Well, I don't know if those cases were brought to the commission and, and how the commission would have dealt with them. Um, and, uh, you know, these were secular bakeries that this, this gentleman went to mm-hmm. asking for religious cake. Um, but, but those were also within the, the same commission, right? Yes. And so, I mean, in that case, there, there is a, here's someone that's for religious reasons is being denied. Right. Where someone else is being sued because he, he, and he, and part of the thing was he didn't say, okay, I'm not giving you anything. I'm denying you all service. That would have been discriminatory. Mm -hmm. But in this case, he just said, I'm not going to, I'm not going to exercise my freedom of expression to something and add my artistic ability to something I disagree with religiously. Right. So as the decision came down, it was it was 7-2. Yeah. So um, five of the justices found um, both justifications, not only the, the denial of these other uh, um, cakes, but the discriminatory statements made during the hearing as evidence of discriminatory intent. Uh, two of the seven justices relied just on the statements of the um, commissioners, uh, and they felt that uh, the cakes in the other cases were a different situation and that the, the commission was right in, in that instance to hold that those uh, cakes could be denied. So there was a, a, a concurring decision by two of the justices, Breyer and Kagan, um, but really what you had the seven majority on was the issue that um, these uh, comments by the commissioner poisoned the well, so to speak. Yeah, and, and you said some of this, they kicked down, kicked the, the can down the road. Yes. And so 
we're still going to be dealing with this issue, I think, in the oh, future. Oh, yes, we are. I mean, Justice Kennedy um, said a lot of things and that left the door open, but we're not sure how wide the door was left open. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you'd like, I can yeah. read a few statements from the case. Um, so the laws uh, and the Constitution can in some instances, and in some instances, must protect gay persons and gay couples in the exercise of their civil rights. But religious and philosophical objections to gay marriage are protected views, and in some instances, protected forms of uh, expression. While it is unexceptional that Colorado law can protect gay persons and inquire in acquiring products and services on the same terms and conditions as are offered to other members of the public, the law must be applied in a manner that is neutral towards religion. Um, One of the difficulties in this case is that the parties disagree as to the extent of the baker's refusal to provide service. If a baker refused to design a special cake with words or images celebrating the marriage, for instance, a cake showing words with religious meaning, that might be different from a refusal to sell any cake at all. In defining whether a baker's creation can be protected, these details might make a difference. The same difficulties arise in determining whether a baker has a valid free exercise claim. A baker's refusal to attend the wedding to ensure that the cake is cut the right way or a refusal to put certain religious words or decorations on the cake, or even a refusal to sell a cake that has been baked for the public generally, but includes certain religious words or symbols on it, are just three examples of possibilities that all but seem endless. And, and so that one there he was, is, is basically the issue that was brought up, right? Because he did offer them other cakes. In, in this case, he offered them other cakes. He offered them other people he, they could go to. Mm-hmm. He didn't deny them service outright. Right. But he just wasn't going to make a specialized cake. That's correct. And uh, um, so there's language in this case that that kind of tries to, I guess you could say, soothe both sides of the argument. Um, but it kind of, it does, and it gives both sides something to hang their hat on. Um, so a lot of this is, is still up in the air. What's going to happen uh, with the next case? And I think um, I think the Supreme Court did this intentionally that way. Um, you know, I think they wanted to first of all word the case in a way that they could get the most justices to agree on this issue. Um, uh, they, uh, I think that Kennedy was trying to promote some understanding between the opposing camps. Uh, do I think that that's going to work? No, I think we're going to see more of these cases, uh, and and I think we're going to see, uh, um, you know, that the court's going to have to wrestle um, with some of these issues. And look, there's a lot of politics in how the court decides cases. Uh, they they want to get as many people. Uh, to agree to a decision as they possibly can. They want as much agreement as they can possibly get. Uh, and, and for that reason, they often decide cases like this one very narrowly. Um, they feel that that uh, uh, makes the decisions less contentious, and they feel that it uh, um, protects the integrity of the court to do it that way. Yeah, and they get to 
pick which cases they're going to hear. Yes. Which does affect things. It does. <laughs> um, I had previously interviewed uh, Jay Warner Wallace. Uh, I don't know if you know who he is. He was a cold case detective for 20 years. Yes, I'm familiar and, with his uh, book. The, 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 the joke that you know, we kind of had was he's, he's never lost a case, which sounds really great until you realize that on cold cases they only take the cases that they have good evidence and know pretty much are going to win. So it's really, it's, it sounds really impressive. And he's like, yeah, but <laughs> they really only take cases. They're really sure they know the outcome that, you know, they want the out, they know the outcome is going to win and they take that. And, and often, a, the, you know, a judge will, will vote to deny what they call cert um, to hear a case. Uh, because they realize that they don't have enough votes to get the outcome that they want. Yeah. So So there is a little bit of politics. It's not just straight law all the time. <laughs> oh, there's <laughs> politics in everything. Unfortunately. Yeah, there there was a case and I don't I, I don't remember all the details, so I don't even remember which state it is, and I don't even know if it's been settled. I remember there was a case where uh, uh two women had gotten married. They went to a jeweler and had rings made. They even wrote a, a very nice review of the jeweler. And sometime after they got back from their honeymoon, they had gone in the store and they saw a sign in the store that was encouraging people to vote for a traditional uh, definition of marriage, which was on the ballot. And the two ladies had claimed that they, they felt that tainted their rings. And they sued him wanting the money back for the rings. Mind you, they wanted to keep the rings. <laughs> but they wanted the money back because they felt his sign tainted their whole wedding after the fact. And I remember hearing about this because he his argument was, look, they, they even wrote a great review. It's I didn't deny them any service whatsoever. Um, and I, I think that they had, the last I had heard, I think he had lost that, but it was, it was being appealed. Uh, but I didn't hear more what that is. But I, I think we're going to see more things like that. Oh, yeah, and there's, there's already cases um, uh, knocking around. I mean, there's the Baronell case out of Washington State, which involves a, a florist who was in the same position as Jack. Uh, in that case, they're hoping that the uh, Supreme Court will take that case. It's on their docket to consider whether or not they're going to hear her case. She lost at the state of Washington. And if, if the Supreme Court doesn't take her case, uh, my understanding is that she's likely to be put out of business. Now, is, is that the case where, I, I, if I'm thinking the same one, where she actually, she did even hire people that were practiced homosexuality? Oh, yeah. She she had homosexuals working for her. She'd made flowers for this guy in the past. She said she would continue to make flowers for them. She just said, as Jack did, I can't use my artistic talents, my God-given artistic talents, uh, to celebrate something that I believe goes against God's will. And, uh, um, you know... Um, she was taken to court by the state of Washington in this case for that uh, and has lost uh, every step of the way in Washington. And now her only hope is that the Supreme Court takes her case. And, um, you know, the Supreme Court's going again have to struggle with some of these issues. Now, did she did she have to shut down her business yet or is she still? She's still in business at still, this point. Yes. Now, did Jack, did he, he was being fined or something? Yeah, he was, did, he was fined. He had to attend uh, um, non-discrimination classes or what I would call, you know, re-education classes. <laughs> um, uh, but he did stop selling wedding cakes to anyone so that he wouldn't be put in this position, mm -hmm. which, now, still, which obviously hurts it? his business. 
Yeah, and is he still doing that then? He's still not doing any wedding cakes? Or... Uh, I don't know since this decision since came out what has happened with him. Yeah. And it's, you're saying re-education. Um, so my background being Jewish, having grown up a generation after the Holocaust, uh, you, we would go through in Hebrew school and we would end up having where we, we basically relive the Holocaust often. I mean, we would be taught about it the, the teachers didn't want us to ever forget. Um, and it's hard for some Christians to understand. I, I tell people, I remember, I remember the, the, the teachers lining all the kids up. I was maybe, at the time, 10 years old, 11 years old. And they lined all of us up. And the one teacher just did like a machine gun and went, and she's like, that's what Jesus Christ, the Christian God, would do to you. And so that was that was how I grew up thinking of Jesus Christ. It wasn't exactly someone I was endeared to. But but it it was a thing, always what amazed me about the Holocaust, and even to this day, I, I read anything I can get on it, is even within these countries where the Germans were executing Jewish people, the citizens just couldn't believe it was happening. They put it out of their mind, oh, we're too civilized. That was the, the phrase that always amazed me. The Germans were like, we're too civilized for this to be happening. And it was this slow progression of events where first the, the Jews weren't allowed to practice law. They weren't allowed to be in political office. They couldn't be teachers. Any, anything that influenced the next generation. And we're seeing that a little bit. Even uh, Bernie Sanders uh, had publicly stated that someone could, shouldn't be qualified for public office because he thinks Islam is wrong. Even though Islam would think Christianity is wrong, but you know, it's like just we don't look at that. And it was like, okay, you can't be in public office. Uh, there's people that are being told they can't, they they shouldn't be able to practice law if they don't accept same-sex marriages. And it just it's this slow progression that I see it really mimics what happened in Nazi Germany. And it was a re-education. It was it was everyone had to you had to carry or, or you know keep the the party line or you were in trouble. Well, and that, that's one of the, that's probably the most helpful thing about this case, is if you have had a, a good majority of the justices sign on to an opinion that says um, you can't denigrate the religious belief that marriage is between a man and a woman. Um, you know, that's a protected view. Uh, and and I think it's very important that the court did state that, and that is probably the most important thing that's come out of this case for Christians. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I think I don't think this is going to be the end of it, though, as you had said. No, oh no. I I mean, there's already been a case out of Arizona that was decided after this case involving um, uh, wedding invitations, people who make wedding invitations, who challenged Arizona's non-discrimination law. Mm-hmm. They did, did what's called a pre-enforcement action. You know, in other words, you sue, they sued before the hammer was dropped on them. Um, and the Arizona uh, appeals court has said, no, 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 this situation is different than Colorado. And they hung their hat on the language uh, in um, the case that favors their view mm-hmm. um, to find that, you know, the state of Arizona can, you know, um, force you to make invitations for a gay wedding. You know, it, it, and it's, it's it's an interesting thing because I think the the law is supposed to try to be fair to all people, 
And and one of the things I think people don't usually think about, they talk morality. Law is morality. I mean, you're you're saying this is right <laughs> and this is wrong. So it is the it is the instituting of of a moral system. And if we're going to say something's right and wrong, we it has to be you know, at least we believe it should be fair to all. And I think in, in what we're seeing is um, there seems to be, and, and I'm trying to generalize, so it's not going to be in all cases, but there seems to be an intolerance of people who uh, practice homosexuality, who are, who are pushing that agenda. Um, I, I uh, last week or weekend, weekend before, was in Ohio, and we were we do a conference there every year and we've been doing it for eight years and this is the first year that it happened to fall on the day where they had a gay pride parade now the parade ended at three o'clock and we went out there at about five o'clock so we were there after the the event but just us being there and one lady even said the fact that i was standing there with a bible in my hand was offensive and meant that i shouldn't be there and I, the only reason I was there was for their gay pride parade. And, and I was like, I, we've been coming here for eight years. <laughs> Seven of those years, we never had that. And we come to the same place to evangelize in all those years. And the thing that really struck me is how intolerant they all seemed that they just got done having a parade to publicly show their views. And yet me standing there with a Bible had to be stopped there's no question that that um the, the christian viewpoint on homosexuality is viewed by um the homosexuals and and their their allies as despicable and that you know it it's not good enough for them to have gained the rights that they have gained uh but they want to eradicate um any any thought that uh, homosexuality is not moral. Yeah. It's clear that that, that that is the eventual goal. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really the intolerance from the tolerant crowd, right? I mean, they, they're the ones asking for tolerance. It was interesting because I was open air evangelizing for two or three hours. And, and there were others there as well that were doing it before. So we were there for a couple, several hours. But... I had four people come up to me afterwards to apologize for their behavior in the way they were speaking to me when I was doing the open air. Once I stopped, they wanted to come over privately and apologize. And it was interesting because one thing that I kept bringing up over and over again, I purposely did not bring up the issue of homosexuality mm -hmm. because I, I realized there would be a bunch of people that were still there from the parade, and I don't need to. <clears throat> they kept bringing it up, and I kept pointing out, wait a minute, I'm not bringing this issue up. You are. I'm not judging you. I'm asking you if you ever lied, and I'm look. That's God's standard. We shouldn't lie. We shouldn't steal. We shouldn't murder, right? I'm just giving you what God's standard is. I'm not judging you. I'm letting you judge yourself. And it was interesting how over and over again, I kept having to point out that they were being intolerant of my views, and that if you know, I even said to one of them, I said, look. Do you want people to be tolerant of you? And she said, yes. And I said, well, don't you think that you, of all people, should be tolerant of other people's views? And she was like, not if they disagree with mine. 
And it was like, well, there you go. I mean, I said, I'm tolerant of you. I'm not telling you how you have to live. I'm just telling you that you're going to be accountable for how you have to live. But I'm saying that to the person who lies, the person who cheats, the person who commits adultery, the person who murders. All of us are going to have to be accountable to God for how we behave. And and that's why the free speech component of this case was was also very important. And, you know, the, one of the things that was made clear uh, in the oral arguments is that, uh, look, we're not saying that anybody can refuse to serve someone just because they're gay. You can't refuse to serve them in a diner. You can't refuse to, you know, serve them in your store. We, we agree that that's the law and that that law is constitutional. Um, what we're saying is that you can't force people to use their expressive gifts, their artistic gifts, to affirm a message mm-hmm. that we disagree with. That's all we want is the right to to disagree and not be forced to accept your viewpoint. It was interesting, uh, I think just this week, the uh, CEO of Twitter was shamed into apologizing because he went to a Chick-fil-A. Yes. And it's like, Chick-fil-A is a restaurant. They serve food. If he happens to like the food... But but this seems to be the bullying tactic that we've seen over and over, you know, threatening the NFL if they don't allow anyone to use whatever bathrooms they want, you know, threatening states with with economic reprisals. It, it's just it to me it seems like a bullying tactic that is being played over and over. Well, I I agree. I mean, I think it's a very sad day for America when you know you not only can't eat at a restaurant. Because you might disagree with the viewpoint of the owner or the person who runs the business, um, but it goes even beyond that. Is if if that somebody does eat there, that person also deserves to be shamed. So I, it's just uh, um, it's a, it really is a sad day for this country that we've come to that. Yeah, and, and let's play, I'm going to play a commercial, and after that, I, I'm going to tell you about case. Well, it's not a case because they didn't sue, but. What happened when it was reversed and there was Christians who were denied uh, service or, or actually kicked out of a place because the owner was homosexual? Ding dong! Jehovah's Witnesses. Ding dong! Mormons. Christian, are you ready to defend the faith when false religions ring your doorbell? Do you know what your Muslim and Jewish friends believe? You will if you get Andrew Rappaport's book, What Do They Believe? When we witness to people, we need to present the truth, but it is very wise to know what they believe, and you will get Andrew Rappaport's book at whatdothebelieve.com. Can you prove that God is a trinity? Can you prove that Jesus is God? Can you defend the Christian faith? And what is it that Christians truly believe? The new book by Andrew Rappaport, What Do We Believe?, will answer those questions and more. Some people just don't understand what the church is today. But this book will go through the history and meaning of the church. And what's more important than to understand man's sinfulness and God's salvation? Get your copy at whatdowebelievebook.com or at the strivingforeternity.org store. So, So there was a group that is very active in in the abortion ministry. I don't actually agree with this group. I actually think they're a cult. But um, but nonetheless, I think they have the right to hand out their literature as they were doing. They came into a coffee shop, and in the coffee shop, they ordered their coffee, 
they went upstairs to where the coffee shop has a place for people to sit and talk. And they were kind of just debriefing, just relaxing after a day of ministry. And they weren't handing out any literature. And all of a sudden, the owner looked, had seen their shirts and realized it was the same group that was handing out the leaflets outside of the store. And he came up to kick them out. And they actually started recording. And they, they said, you know, have we handed out any literature in your store? And he said, no. Have we, have we disturbed your clientele in any way? No. You know, do, have we brought up our religious views or any views? You know, he's, and it, he said, I, I don't want you in my establishment because of your views. And then he was started to talk about, you know, would you be okay if I did certain things with my boyfriend in front of you? Which was really the intolerance. He's trying to force it, his view on them and yet tell them that they're being intolerant. Uh, and they ended up leaving. But it was just interesting how when the tables were turned, there was no media on that. They couldn't get any media to even look at that and pick that up and say, wait, this is sort of a discrimination case where they were actually kicked out specifically because of their beliefs on abortion. Where did this happen? What state? I, I forget. Where, I think it might have been Texas. I'd have, I have to double check. Well, they uh, they should have sued for religious discrimination. Yeah. They're, the way they are, they, they, I don't know if they did or not. I doubt it, just knowing that organization. Um, but uh, they, they, they were more probably, they might do it if they think they'll get more publicity. They're very big into publicity. But, but it is a thing where, in their case, it was their, because it was able to identify the shirts they were wearing with things like, with the leaflets. But I do think that uh, there are times where Christians are, are starting to feel a little bit more and more of this, you know, basically the suppression of our culture to say, hey, almost, I kind of think of this as the reverse of where we were in the 70s and 80s, where when homosexuality was supposedly, it was, you were in the closet and, you know, it was, it was something to be hidden. And it was something where the way we'd hear about it is, hey, we just want the right, you know, to do what we want in our bedrooms. You, why should you bother us with what we do in our own bedrooms? That was the argument. And people said, yeah, but you won't stay in the bedrooms. And they haven't. And the gay pride parades were some of the arguments people made to say, see, you're not staying in the bedrooms. And it, it went from, I, I recently was uh, teaching how to evangelize uh, people of that practice homosexuality. And one of the things I said is that they, they view homosexuality as something that was a cross, that or sorry was a curse that became a cross to bear but now they see it as a crown to be celebrated and they want all of us to celebrate it but it's not just the celebration of it it's almost as if that now where they say they were in the bedrooms now they want to shove us and say you got to only be in the church you can't be in the public square save that for the church reserve that there like we can't go out in public or you know i i, I was wearing a religious t-shirt and someone came up to me and had said, you really shouldn't wear that in public. And I, w I was, you know, just in a store, you know, picking up some coffee. And it was like, you know, you shouldn't wear that in public. You should reserve that for, for the church. Like, I haven't even said anything. My, my shirt was what said it. But it, it seems like they've come out of the closet. And now they want to put us in it. Yeah, and, and let's be clear. It's not just people who practice homosexuality. It's it's. Um, people who are atheists uh, and and you know various other groups who are who who 
in essence, feel threatened by Christianity. And yes, they would like to see us pushed out of the public square. Why do you think that is? Why do you think Christianity, out of all religions or all views, they'd want to do that with? Well, I think it because at one time it was the most uh, um, powerful religion in the United States, and it, it has had a huge influence on the culture and and a culture that they don't agree with, and that's why they view it as uh, as something that needs to be suppressed. I, th- I think it also is it makes them guilty. You know, it, may, it makes them feel guilty. Um, they know that you know it says they're wrong. Right. I mean, even Hitler, he he ended up creating his own Christianity. He created his own Bible. So it was like biblical Christianity was outlawed, but he still wanted to use it. Mm-hmm. Um, that was actually one of the things that struck me at this gay pride parade. How many of the people practicing homosexuality told me they were Christian or they grew up Christian? That was heartbreaking. Uh, you know, I, I think a lot of them having after talking with them, I think a lot of them were reacting to their Christian upbringing or their parents and like this was the the best way to rebel against their parents in, in the most uh, extreme way um, but it, it is something where I, I, I look at this and looking at this specifically this case I don't know that this is a win for religious rights as much as some Christians are trying to make it well as I said it's 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 really it's really hard to say what's going to happen in the future based on this case. Um, but the case has set forth some propositions that are very helpful to our arguments. And, and, and we, so you have seven justices, not, not all of them conservatives, who have signed on to an opinion that, that says, hey, you, you know, people have a right to this viewpoint and and you have to treat this viewpoint like with respect like you should treat all viewpoints so i think in that respect it's very helpful um i mean it's always a win when when a believer is is allowed to follow his conscience um you know justice thomas wrote a concurring opinion that uh you know sort of chastised the rest of the court for ignoring the um, free speech issue and did a very good job of laying out why that free issue uh, should have, free speech issue should have been decided in this case and decided in favor of the baker. And and Justice uh, Kennedy is the one who wrote the the. I guess the, the majority argument, right? Yes, and he's but he's also what had written the one that that legalized same sex marriage, and a lot of people are bringing that up. Yes, and um, you know, um, Justice Kennedy said when he wrote uh, Obergefell that um, you know this doesn't mean that people who disagree with this have an illegitimate viewpoint. Yeah, um, and he's stuck to that. So, you know, that's that's helpful. Um, but as I said, we're not still not you can never be sure exactly where everybody is on, on these issues. Um, it's going to depend on depend on the facts of the cases that come beside, before the court. Um, unfortunately, I, I'm not sure we're ever going to get a bright line rule. 
I think uh, a bright line rule would have um, um, gotten some people angry, uh, but eventually would have um, been the best thing to happen. Now, what is a bright line rule? Um, well, if, for instance, they had decided that, you know, they had given set for the rule that would have governed in, in every case that came after this. Um, so, for instance, if they had adopted Judge Thomas's uh, reasoning that, look, this is, you know, art- anything artistic that you're doing is speech, and you have a right to say, no, I'm not going to use my artistic talents uh, to communicate a message I disagree with, and that 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 does not violate the anti-discrimination laws. That would have been a bright line rule. Okay. And that's what um, he's advocating. And, you know, I mean, speech is more than just words. That's clear. I mean, the Supreme Court, as, as Justice Thomas points out, has found that nude dancing is an expressive activity that gets uh, First Amendment protection. Well, if nude dancing gets First Amendment protection, why shouldn't artistic cakes or uh, a, a person who does artistic flower design or uses their artistic talents to design wedding invitations? You know, these are clearly expressive activities and people should not be forced to to express an, uh, an opinion that they disagree with. And that is what we're arguing is happening in these cases, is that these people are being forced to um, use their talents to express a an idea that they not only disagree with, but that violates their conscience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and, and this is, I mean, I really think where we're headed, unfortunately, as a culture, is we have a group of people that in their mob mentality are trying to force their view on everybody while arguing that they people need to be tolerant of them, <laughs> which is just, it's just an interesting, I remember reading the book 1984, and one of the things that struck me as being completely ridiculous was the idea of, uh, I believe he called, it was called doublespeak, where, where words would have totally different meaning, opposite meanings in some cases, but if this is what the government said, this is the new meaning, everyone had to adopt it. <clears throat> and I was like, <clears throat> that would never happen. <clears throat> now we have, <laughs> uh, you you know, a teacher just recently, <clears throat> a Christian teacher who had been, uh, I guess he, he resigned and then tried to get his job back, but then fired because he wouldn't refer to a student by the name that, by the pronoun that they wanted. And to avoid that, he he referred to them by their last name. So he didn't use a pronoun at all. But even that was offensive, supposedly, and disrespectful because the student wanted to be recognized a certain way. And it's just interesting how now uh, the, the culture is deciding, no, everyone has to sit, you know, things like a boy and a girl. I mean, these are scientific things. This is biology, <laughs> right? And, and yet now it's like all that language tossed out, all these things that seem like such common sense and we're, it's really like 1984. It really, you know, he was ahead of his time. It really can happen. Well, I, I mean, look, we, we are never all going to agree on these issues and a lot of other issues. But what we should be able to disagree on is that everyone, agree on, is that everyone has the right to disagree. 
and and even people that disagree with us should should understand that you know when when cases like this are decided against the individual um you're giving the power the government a power that could come back mm-hmm. and bite you one day yeah. that you could be forced to violate mm-hmm. your conscience uh and and the people that that uh oppose this need to think about that yeah it was interesting i was in the, i was doing some evangelism open air evangelism in union square in new york city during the time when we had the uh the occupy wall street movement and uh it was very interesting because they were probably the most aggressive people i've ever tried to evangelize until th- this gay pride parade but the interesting thing with them is that one of the the guys ended up saying, you know, because they they were trying to call the police on us and have us shut down and and try to stop us from being able to share the gospel, and one of one of their own people said, "Look, if you deny them their freedom of speech to say what they believe, you'll end up denying us that same freedom, because once you remove freedom of speech." It goes by who's ever in control of that speech, who's ever controlling what you're allowed to say that gets to decide. And he was trying to to say to his own folks there, if you deny them their freedom of speech, that could turn around and remove ours. That's absolutely right. Yeah. So let's play a, a commercial here, and I want to get back to how this has been represented in the media. Looking for strategies that will help you engage in meaningful conversations with members of the Mormon Church? Well, if so, take a look at Sharing the Good News with Mormons, a new book produced by Harvest House Publishers and edited by Mormonism Research Ministries' Eric Johnson and Sean McDowell. Sharing the Good News with Mormons includes 24 helpful essays from two dozen Christian apologists, scholars, and pastors. Pick up your copy at the Utah Lighthouse Bookstore or order directly from mrm.org. And you can also get that at strivingforeternity.org. Go to the store. Uh, I do have a chapter in that book on open-air evangelism. Uh, There's 24 different authors, 24 different tactics and and ways to reach out specifically to Mormons, but a lot of those tactics work for for everyone. I mean, there's uh, my buddy Matt Slick has a chapter on the reliability of Scripture. That works for atheists, Mormons alike. Um, but there's many tactics in there that if you want to evangelize, you can pick up a lot of things in there and learn different ways to evangelize different people. And so it's a privilege to be part of that. We will be, that book was, was, we rushed that book through the publisher to have it ready for Manti. And if you're in the area of Utah next week, uh, actually this week from when this drops, uh, I'll be at Manti miracle pageant with uh, a bunch of other christians we have a conference going on there and we're going to be evangelizing the thousands of mormons that go to that pageant so you can be praying for us if you can't make it there um mike let me ask you this one of the things i picked up when i first saw the the announcement of this court case was the phrase that kept being said that it was a narrow decision and now I immediately picked up on that because I know when the um, the the um, I'm trying to remember the name now the the same sex marriage Oberfeld Ober- Oberfeld the Oberfeld decision it was it was said in the media that it was a majority or overwhelming majority 
and it was just interesting how they they refer to it as an you know when it was a case that the media wanted it's overwhelming or it's a majority decision now this was a narrow decision but it's not narrow in the voting right i mean it, the oberfeld decision was a 5-4 vote where this was a 7-2 vote we would think that seems like a larger difference <laughs> for this one more of a majority voted you know in this one for the baker in colorado but people are the media is using the word narrow in the in specifically in the way this court case was done differently than the way that people when they just read the headlines is understanding it uh, I, I hadn't noticed that i guess it kind of depends on what what media you look at uh but um well i even noticed it in, in fox news mentioned it was interesting because they said in one paragraph in a 7-2 decision in the very next paragraph they just said it was a narrow decision well, it, yeah, <laughs> or, I mean, it, and I guess th- there are two ways to look at narrow. I mean, narrow is, you know, a 5-4 decision is a narrow vote. Um, you know, the reason in this case they got a 7-2 was because they decided it on a very narrow issue. Yes. Uh, so, the, I, you know, I guess the, the two different ways you can use that word narrow uh, when you're talking about the Supreme Court. Now, properly used here. The narrow is not speaking of the the number of votes one way or the other. Right. right. Actually, we have a very, you know, I mean, seven is a large majority. Yeah, I don't, I don't remember seeing too many Supreme Court cases that came out with seven. Well, there used to be a lot of them years ago, but, you know, since, I guess, uh, the 90s, um, where the the court's been much more divided, so there's been many more five four decisions, which is why Justice Kennedy has so much power because he's the guy who usually goes one way or the other, and in a lot of these cases, he's the deciding vote. Yeah, and uh, I don't know. Maybe I'm I'm wrong on this. Maybe it's just that you know all people usually think history starts with their birth, <laughs> but. It just seems like the the Supreme Court's become more politicized now than in the past. Maybe it's just uh, I'm, I pay attention to it more now. Yeah, I mean, you, I didn't when I was younger. You go back to the Roosevelt Court. Well, okay, you yeah, know that's that was that was very divided. Um, that, you well, know, he even tried to to pack the to court, pack that yes. by adding a couple more justices um, that he gets the vote on. <laughs> you know, and there and it's true, but there have been long um, series of years. Where the court has been um, more uh, coherent, uh, one way or the other, um, but uh, yeah, since uh, since I mean, it's I think it started in the the seventies um, with the with the Burger Court, where the decisions started to get more um, uh, narrow, not narrowly decided, but the votes became much more narrow. Uh, and it's just gotten worse and worse. Um, yeah. And, it, you know, that all boils down to, though, uh, a fundamental difference between the two wings of interpretation, um, how things should be interpreted. And that's really what drives the division in the court more than anything else. Do, do you think, because uh, as we try to wrap up, do you think there's anything specific or anything you want to share with folks, anything that you think is important from this case for Christians to be aware of? Uh, you know, I I think that um, Christians should take heart that the court has said 
that your views are entitled to respect and that the government, especially um, in in adjudicating your claims, has to treat those viewpoints with respect. Uh, and, and I think the other takeaway from this is that, you know, you have to stand up for your rights. And, and when your rights are violated, you have to be ready to go to court to defend those rights. And, you know, sometimes you'll lose and sometimes you'll win. Uh, but if, if you don't even get in the ring, then you're definitely going to lose. Yeah. <laughs> you, can't, you can't win if you don't get in the game. Right. right. So, so I know you probably don't listen to the Rap Report podcast regularly. But I'm going to ask you to play a game with me. But don't worry. All the pressure is on me and not you. So for folks who, who know this game. It's time now to start the spiritual transition game. So this is a game where the way we play this is you're going to give me something from the natural world. And I am going to have to transition live to the spiritual. So whatever you give me, I have to somehow take whatever you give me and transition to the gospel. And the reason we play this game is... A lot of Christians find it easier to share the gospel when the conversation gets into the spiritual realm. The trouble that many have is how to transition that. And so we play this game to try to help people realize that with practice, we can all transition from almost anything to from the natural world to the spiritual world. So give me anything on your mind, <laughs> and we'll see how I do. Vegetable gardening. Ah, now, this one's actually an easy one for me because I actually do vegetable gardening. And there's one thing about vegetable gardening, that, that if, as long as you don't have a patio garden, that is, that drives me nuts. And that is the weeds. <laughs> there's something about the weeds. Weeds, if you do any weeding, you have to keep on top of that. You, you know, it's not the sort of thing that you can let it go. Now, I, I do a lot of speaking in the summer. One year I had great tomatoes. They were looking great until I went away for two weeks and the weeds overtook the garden in two weeks and my tomatoes were gone weeds are a thing where you can't just grab them and yank them out because then the roots you know are still there and they actually grow deeper and now you, you have more of a problem because they're they have a better foundation they're deeper rooted in the ground you have to go almost grab them individually and pull them out from the root one by one and, and you got to stay on top of that. And that i whenever i'm doing that it always is an illustration of me of something else. And that's the illustration in my life of sin. The fact that it's something that everyone struggles with, and it's just you have to stay on top of that. You can't just say, okay, I'm just going to ignore it at a, at a big level. You have to deal with individual things and, and pull it out from its roots and get it at the root of it and deal with it there, not just at the, at the consequence level. And, and most people want to deal with the consequences. Like, as long as they don't see the weeds, they're not really there. Meanwhile, their root system is, is getting a firm foundation. Sin does the same thing with us. If we, if we, don't, if we don't dig it out from the root, it, it may, we may not see it at the surface level because we've got rid of the consequences, but it's still there. And the, the, the biggest thing about sin is there's a consequence to sin, and that's eternal damnation, that there's actually a God who we're going to be accountable to. But you know what? That God has a remedy for sin. He himself came to earth, died on a cross as a payment of sin that we could be set free. He actually paid the fine that we owe that we could actually be forgiven and have mercy. That's how I guess I would transition quickly from a vegetable garden to, to the gospel. And, and folks listening, you may have a different way of doing it. But practice that and you won't 
find it difficult to share the gospel at different times. So, how, Mike, how can folks get in touch with you if they if they end up having issues? Uh, maybe maybe they're out evangelizing, and they First Amendment issues come up. How can people get a hold of you? You know, to get legal counsel and advice if they have a case that's coming up. Well, my email address is M Laffy. That's L A F F is in Frank E Y at Messina Law Firm dot com, and my cell phone number seven three two six four two six seven eight four. Okay, and I'll put I'll put the email in the show notes so you'll be able to get that there. And um, you know, you you've taken a number of different types of cases, but you defend Christians quite often. Yes. And you know, you do you work for or do you do cases for the American uh, the, the uh, Alliance, Alliance Defending Defense? Freedom? Yes, uh, I've uh, been local counsel for them on a number of cases. Um, the most notable one uh, was uh, the Ocean Grove uh, case. Mm. Um, where Ocean Grove was sued for not allowing a uh, a gay wedding on their pavilion, mm. um, uh, but I've also received uh, training from them, uh, and they've helped me with uh, some other cases that that I've handled on my own. Uh, I've also done work with some other organizations over the years. The Rutherford Institute. I've done a little work with. I've done a little work with the Pacific Justice. Um, uh, so. Um, uh, Jay Sekulow's organization I did a little work with years ago. Um, so I've been doing this now since about uh, 2000, for about 17 years. Uh, it's To me, it's the enjoyable part of my practice. I enjoy uh, dealing with these issues, wrestling with them. So um, please, if you uh, um, feel you've been discriminated against, contact me. Yes, and... I think more more and more Christians are going to need to, to to reach out to legal counsel for different issues. And, you know, it's it's a blessing knowing there are Christians that are practicing law and can help and defend other Christians, you know, not just to be fair with what the law is, but knowing that we have someone that we agree with and will spend eternity with also defending us here in, in the temporal courts. Well, um one other thing I would like to mention, it recurred to me when you said the Alliance Defending Freedom. If there are any pastors out there listening, okay, um, the Alliance Defending Freedom has started a church alliance, uh, and uh, you can join the, the church alliance. There's a fee associated with it, but what it does is it provides you with um, legal counsel uh, for your church if there is a uh, uh, a religious issue where you have to defend yourself against some type of discrimination claim. Your church has to defend itself uh, against some type of discrimination claim. So uh, if you're a pastor out there, I would strongly urge you to go to the Alliance Defending Freedoms website and and look into the uh, Church Alliance. The Church Alliance. Okay. I will get that link and I will put that in the in the show notes as well. So for pastors i encourage you to do that we're going to need to be defending ourselves against this this culture unfortunately uh we are no longer in a christian culture uh we are in a becoming a very anti-christian culture i uh, folks who are regular listeners to rap report you know i've said this before but i think uh, another holocaust is coming it's just not going to be with uh, the jewish people i think it's going to be in america with christians and i think that you know i say often that what people get into power with 
they stay in power with him. We're gonna. I think that whoever follows Trump, I could be wrong, not a prophet, but I just think we're looking at history, whoever comes after Trump is probably going to be very left-leaning and probably will get in very much more support by the homosexuals than Obama had. And by that, he's going to stay in power by giving that. And I think that we're going to see a, a very big push that way. And it's it could be scary. Well, I, I, you know, I don't know if you're right about that or or not, Andrew. But you know, and you know, these I things. I hope I'm wrong. Yeah, these <laughs> these things can be very scary. Um, but what, I guess what we always have to remember is that we we know how the story ends. That's right. We we know who wins in the end. Yeah, and and you know, I mean, that's the whole thing. People sometimes get confused. What striving for eternity means? They think we mean striving to work our way to heaven. It's not. It's after we're Christians, we strive to have that eternal mindset because the reality is this is not our home. We're passing through, as, as Peter says. We're we're just you know our citizenship's in heaven. We're just pilgrims in this earth, and we we're not guaranteed a pleasant life here on earth, but we are guaranteed that we'll be with Christ for all eternity. And that's the thing that I think when we go through these things, we have to remember. Uh, many Christians get very tied up in the politics and the cultural issues, and we need to remember that God has has redeemed us and saved us, and our our mission is to go and make disciples. If people don't know Jesus Christ, then that the first part of discipleship is to evangelize. And then once they once they know Christ, well, he says, teach them everything, we should teach them everything he's taught us. And so that would be what we should be doing. So I hope that, uh, that, that if folks who have any legal issues that you would, you would reach out to Mike and I'll have his email in the, in the show notes for you. Reach out to him. Get the advice. Even, even if you're unsure about things, um, there are some people that don't want to take the battle. Um, I know of personally of someone who um, they actually saved a website from being shut down. Uh, it was going to be shut down, and they ended up putting a petition to try to save this website from being shut down. Now, it, there, this is for a very specialized business, and um, and so what ended up happening, though, is because this one individual is very vocal about her Christian views, a bunch of people that practice homosexuality came and attacked the website because the website thanked her for saving their website and everything with this petition. And they promoted her own website, promoting her business. And every, all they had thousands of people demanding that this website take down their thanks to her because of her Christian values. And she contacted me. It was just, uh, yeah, I had given her your name and, and email because, I, you know, I said contact her. And, she, and she's just like, you know what, I just, I don't want to, I don't want to deal with it. It's so much, and and that's the reaction a lot of Christians have. They just don't want to take that fight. My challenge to her and, and to others is, contact you and you you pick up that fight, <laughs> you know. Because if we don't, if we let them keep pushing us and pushing us, eventually there's there is no fight because they just take over, you know. So, folks, if you if you have a concern legally, I encourage you to contact Mike at Messina Law Firm. And I thank you for coming on. Thank you for sharing not only about your views, but specifically some legal expertise in this. Well, thank you for having me.
This podcast is part of the Striving for Eternity ministry. For more content or to request a speaker or seminar to your church, go to strivingforeternity.org.